Welcome to Cigar City Radio, episode number 19. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, and making the magic happen, a man who loves to fiddle, Jason Solanez. I would fiddle many diddles to get a little sleep. <laughs> just a little? Just a little diddle. Just, just a little diddle. <laughs> just a little diddle on the fiddle. Yeah. Yeah. Fiddle to diddle. Yeah. If you like the show, you can follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also review and rate us on iTunes. If you did that, we'd really appreciate it. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Cigar City Radio. And you can email us at CigarCityRadio at gmail.com. We're about a month away from our first ever Noche Buena party taking place during South by Southwest. And we've got 15 bands on the lineup. 15 bands, Jason. That's a lot of bands. That's a lot of bands. Jason, you want to run through them all? Yeah, why not? We got got? Hockey Dagged. Oh, yeah. We got Detective. DTCV. High Waisted. Send Medicine. Jackson Boone and the Ocean Ghosts. The Undercover Dream Lovers. Dirty Dishes. Warbly Jets. Field Trip. Shark Muffin. Shark Muffin. Fruit and Flowers. Tall Juan. The tallest of Juans. Plastic Pinks. And Veiny Hands. Tampa's own Veiny Hands. Tampa's own. Yeah. And when's that happening, Jason? That is happening on Wednesday, March 15th at Staygold. It will be going on from 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. There is no cover, but make sure that you're 21 or up. And if you want to go to the show, we recommend that you RSVP online. We're getting a lot of responses. And if you RSVP, we'll get you on the wait list and get you priority admission if there's a line. So you want that. Oh, I want that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want that for you. This is the night that your abuela has been waiting for. Search Noche Buena Party South by Southwest on Facebook events or RSVP at CigarCityManagement.com slash SXSW. Our guest on this episode is singer-songwriter and fiddler Sarah Watkins. She was one of the founding members of the bluegrass group Nickel Creek. She also plays ukulele and guitar, and she's worked with greats like Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones, Jackson Brown, and Fiona Apple. And she's shared the stage with some of the greats in music. For somebody so accomplished, she's incredibly down-to-earth and super chill. Uh, We recorded this one at the Green Room of the State Theater, which, if you've never been back there, is kind of a... Terrifying. Yeah, (laughs) it's dark and dingy place. It's dark. The lamp looks like it's going to catch fire. I, I don't know if I'm revealing too much here, but the State Theater actually has a hole... Uh, behind the stage that the drummer has to actually sort of crawl through to get onto the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a manhole, literally. It, it literally is a man or a woman hole. It depends on hey, who's all drumming. Right, all right. You know, we're all inclusive. Michelle's not here to correct us, <laughs> but we are still all inclusive. So it was a little dark and dingy in there. We had one sort of interrogation looking light. That was all that they had in the room. Um, but it was still a very uh, wonderful and friendly and, and bright interview. So. She's a kind lady, and she's worked with Jackson Brown, so yeah, I, I feel like I should have bowed to her as I would Jackson Brown. Yeah, and she put on an awesome performance later that night, and probably many people would bow to her after that. Yes. For sure. So here it is, episode 19.
Oh, no. Well, that makes it weird. No, no. I went to the Watkins family hour in Athens. And so. Oh, great. Yeah. So I was like, try to get Sarah on the show. That would be awesome. I want to talk about that experience because that was one of the best shows. I drove on a Monday night to get up there for the Tuesday show, went to the show and immediately had to drive back to go to like work no the next way. morning. But it That's was awesome. awesome. Yeah. With Fiona, Glenn, all of them. It was it was great. So such yeah. a fun tour. Yeah. I could imagine like being on that tour because that show alone was incredible. So, yeah, it was it was Great. I mean, we started uh, thinking we would just do a few cities. We would do like two or three shows in towns where we had friends, like New York, Chicago, Nashville, L.A., Seattle, something like that, you know. Mm. And we would do two or three shows, invite some friends out to play songs just to like that because that's what we do in L.A. uh, This monthly residency is just my brother and I and our friends and our band in the band. And then, um, you know, we bring a couple people down to to play a song or two or sit yeah. in, do something. You know, it's pretty um, it's pretty casual, but we practice. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so to do it on the on the road, we wanted to keep that uh, spontaneity happening and yeah. not just get into the the typical touring habit, which can be like find a great set list, sit, stick with it for a week. The, uh, tweak it a little bit and do the exact same show or like a similar run through we wanted every night to be totally yeah. different and so. you, you definitely got that as like an audience member it felt like just a giant jam session like the fact that you guys looked like you were having fun mm-hmm. i think translates for us to be able to sit there and be like this is awesome it doesn't feel like a show like because i think you can go in as an audience member it could be your favorite band or whatever you sit there and you still feel like a spectator you don't really truly engage but when it feels like you guys are having fun, then it makes us feel like we're having fun. It's and a really reactive band. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if, you know, Ben Montench is, is playing, you know, reaching for new things on the piano, there's, the bass player is going to react and my brother is going to react on guitar and I'm yeah. going to sing differently. And everyone sings and plays to each other in a way that isn't like anchored in an album arrangement. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just anchored in... Like our arrangement, but with a lot of flexibility that, that um, we're not trying to replicate a record or anything. Definitely. Um, it was awesome. a fun tour. Those are some of the best performances, though, especially what, like you said, having a band that can flow and, and react. Yeah. I mean, does that just come with, you know, years of playing together? I mean, you and your brother, I'm sure, have been playing together long before you started the band, you mm-hmm. know, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, we, well, we grew up in Nickel Creek together, so mm-hmm. we, we've, we've, played really really precise and intricate things and we've uh you know gone the other direction and we you know we we play new song we play a lot and and um we live close together and and collaborate on on different projects so there's definitely a lot of a lot of overlap in our careers but um I think that there's a sensibility in certain musicians that that you find a kinship that works and makes that kind of of reactive playing really uh compatible that's amazing so you started or i don't know if you started it but you were you nickel creek formed when you were 18 right i was eight you were whoa you were eight yeah my brother sean watkins and me and chris thiele and scott thiele chris's dad was playing bass with us for uh the first 11 years and we were just kids playing together in a kids band and um doing you know local museum openings and things like that and street fairs bluegrass festivals and then uh around the time i was 17 or 18 we made our first 
CD on a, on a label, Sugar okay. Hill. And that was, Alison Krauss produced it. And we um, had some success with a couple of songs that, that um, allowed us to, to tour for a real long time. And that just kind of became all of our, it, it, it was our whole um, career at that point. The band took up all of our time. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, for years and years. And so we decided to put it on the shelf around 2007 and, uh, and just to make way for other projects like to you know yeah. have a chance to do solo records and play with other people and, and um, you know, discover inspiration outside of the band. Definitely. And uh, it was a great decision. We, you know, we love each other so much and it was really nice to that we all felt that we were in a place where we could we could step away from it and step away with no hard feelings you know yeah yeah and your first solo record you worked on with john paul jones right yes yeah That's, how did you how did you meet him i met john at merle fest which is a bluegrass festival in north carolina mm-hmm. he was hanging out with gillian welch and dave rawlings and he's a mandolin player. He he plays on all that Zeppelin stuff. Yeah. Mandolin. All that Zeppelin 3 stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh and he's he's a you know, obviously an incredible musician. Mm. And so we knew him over the years, did some touring and various little side projects together. And when Nickel Creek was playing the Cambridge Folk Festival in England, he came he he was hanging out and watching and um after the show, he approached me about you know once once this once you guys take the hiatus you you should make a solo record and I should produce it yeah. and I kind of thought he was just being just nice, being nice. Yeah. and supportive and stuff, but we kept in touch about it and and um the momentum continued and and he was just such a prince and a, a dream to work with i really yeah. I'm so grateful that he was the the first guy I got to to work with on a solo record. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when somebody from Led Zeppelin calls, I mean, you pretty much, you got to say yes, right? Yeah, Yeah, he was, he's not the kind of person who you are always aware of who he is, of his, of his reputation when you're talking to him. He's very kind and, uh, down to earth and you just, you very, very quickly are put to ease and, but then every once in a while you like glance over and check the, get the profile. Yeah. Of it and you're like, oh, right. You're John Paul Jones. <laughs> right. And yeah. he'll tell these great stories. It's, it's pretty I can imagine. He's, he's got some legendary stories. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much more rock and roll than Led Zeppelin. You know? They were the first band to have a plane. Yeah. The first. Yeah. It they, was like, oh, we should just have a plane. Yeah. Well, and they have a, there's a legendary story where they had to cancel a concert here in Tampa, Florida at the, at the old sombrero, the Raymond James or the, what is now Raymond James stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, I think they played two songs. It was two or three songs. And then the rain started pouring like it does very often here in the summer in Florida. Mm-hmm. And they just got right onto the jet and peaced out. Cause like when it rains here, it's almost like hurricane, like almost every rainstorm is like hurricane level like mm-hmm. insane so i could see a couple guys from england would have been freaked out by it gets tricky <laughs> with gear too that's also true with gear also and true. getting electrocuted yeah you gotta yeah you do have to the be electrocution thing is real yeah they want to see you electrocuted yeah <laughs> i was there yeah i'm sure you've probably played a ton of outdoor shows that 
Got yeah, I, I played a, we played a festival once a long time ago where um, it was raining and they had to cut the sound. And this was in this was in uh, Mississippi. Maybe it's called the Beale Street Festival or something. Yeah. And our guitar tech came down off the stage. So they didn't cut the whole PA, but they were like, like pulling the gear off of the stage, getting it out of the rain to try and save all the, you know, mics and electronics and stuff but our our guitar tech chief brought this little you know 57 vocal mic down and we played acoustically like in the crowd and he just kind of held it up so that because there was a large amount of people watching so that we could amplify a little bit and he told us like years later that he was just feeling like zap 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 going down through his arm and his legs and and he was just like just taking it but it's it's for real. Well, I mean, with a name like Chief, yeah. I mean, he's got to take it. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a name for uh for a guitar tech. Pretty good. Yeah, right on to Chief. He's a, he's a good Chief. Yeah. So so I'm amazed that you know you started making music when you were eight. You know you've been in like the, bad it, music, but yeah. Uh, well, you know, still music, probably better music than I was making when I was eight. <laughs> but you've been in the spotlight for so long, at, but yet you seem like a very normal person. How does that happen? <laughs> well, I think spotlight is a very gent, like maybe flashlight. Okay, all right. Um, it, it's it, in bluegrass. It's it's very a very small pool of people. Yeah, it's not. And, yeah, and the thing is, like, I, I feel really lucky that I grew up in a musical community where um, the best people, the legendary people, were also like sixty year olds. Mm. Where it's n- there are there were some you know shining stars in their twenties and stuff, but it was mostly like you are thrilled to get to see Del McCurry, yeah, you know like a sixty eight seventy eighty year old man like you you are thrilled to get to see these legends who've been around and who whose life um, has overlapped with so many others that you respect and who you know contain all these songs and um, and that's a great tradition to grow up in. There's always there are always people around you who know way more than you and are way better than you and have been around and can school you pretty well. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really good way to to grow up to not just I mean we we had our fair share of compliments and and accolades and I'm sure that we listened to them too much in our in our time but mm-hmm. there's always this huge respect for um the elders in the in the musical community. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a humbling thing, you know, to be young and learning your instrument and then see somebody that's been playing for 40, 50 years and <laughs> and their, you know, how they approach music is a totally different thing. Totally, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, instruments are humbling. Like, they're, they're humiliating. Like, fiddle is humiliating to play. <laughs> it's... And it's an incredible <laughs> triumph when you play in tune yeah. or in time and to do them both and then to make good choices... And to improvise and have it all come out the right way. It's just, it's such a drag to, because like, I love it, but it's, it's not easy to, to, to do everything right all the time or do everything as you would like. And so there are, there are plenty of ways to be humbled. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are. Yeah, that's crazy. But lately, you know, the last, I know the last record, it was, you've been a lot less bluegrass. I think it's fair to say more 
sort of moving into like the pop sphere. Is that fair to say? I mean, I, I, yes, I I don't, it's definitely a little more ruckus than it was. I Um, I love that term ruckus. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, the, the bluegrass that I grew up in was not strict bluegrass. It Mm. was, it was pretty progressive to begin with, uh, from from California by the time anything gets to us it's been modified a lot so my first understanding of bluegrass instrumentation was just oh they can these bands that I'm watching are playing you know old country songs they're playing Beatles songs they're playing I don't know like Prince or something like they're playing stuff and that and it's not what, what their repertoire is not dictated by their instrumentation and that was something that we tried to do in Nickel Creek as much as you know we didn't try to. It just kind of happened, I think, because of the foundation. And this new record has a little bit less fiddle on it than than the typical than my previous two. Mm-hmm. But sonically, it's it's a lot cleaner than my second record. And um, and you know, I think the I wasn't trying to go away from anything necessarily. I just I wanted it to sonically fit the intent of the emotion in the lyrics. Yeah. And there are some instruments that, that absolutely would not fit in that or would take away or distract or be too strong of a character. Yeah. And so you, um, you know, you just try and find the right people to play the instrumentation that will get the lyric across. And, and the album you're referring to, your most recent one, was Young in All the Wrong Ways, yeah. right? And that, like, I've heard described or even compared to, like, a Fleetwood Max, like, rumor, oh, wow. rumors type thing, where it was, like, you know, kind of this this post-breakup, post, like, label situation album, you know? Oh, wow. Is that, like... Yeah. Well, I, I made it when I didn't... I, I was between labels and I was between management. And I... And it was time to make a record. So I asked my friend Gabe Witcher to produce it. And we went in the studio and tracked it in like 12 days. I think we did in Los Angeles. And right then there was, some, there was some overdubbing. We put some strings on it and um, overdubbed some, some harmony vocals with friends when, we, when they were in town, that kind of thing. But um, it's, not, it's not a breakup album necessarily, although I've said there, in some ways there, there, are, there are a couple songs that feel like I'm breaking up with, you know, parts of myself or, or, or something like that. But I, I think that to me, the album is about transitions Mm -hmm. and, and some of the things that, that I was going through when I was writing this album was, um, some of the things were just, you know, trying to be open to reconsidering things and to not get too comfortable not not that I'm looking for turbulence as as much as I I I identified the comfort that I was feeling in my life as just being fine with things and not necessarily moving forward and the world changes far too quickly to not try and have to engage and and um I didn't want to just find myself in some accidental ruts philosophically, um, uh, in terms of like socially, what life, the way that I live life, you know, spiritually, I wanted to, um, make deliberate choices and, and 
really thoughtfully consider some things that I'd sort of been putting off considering for a while. And I think that stirred up a lot of a lot of things in my life. And at the same time, you know, there's a lot of turbulence going on around me. And um, so for me, this album is is about navigating those kinds of transitions and trying to boldly move forward even when you don't really know where you're going but just to take you know take a step take a step and um not stall out yeah so it's like you challenged yourself to step outside your comfort zone a little bit and and find those those ways to transition to new things yeah yeah i i wanted to experience um any anxiety or um, nervousness. I wanted. To, I, I wanted to not take that as a sign of caution, but rather a sign of, oh, I'm anxious. It's because I'm, I'm doing something I haven't done yet, or I'm, I'm consider. I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm not repeating myself. I'm, I'm, I'm taking risks. Yeah. And, um, not willy nilly, just you know stupid risks but you know good risks i um i read on like a few reviews and stuff they've actually like referred to it almost as like coming of age and i think people tend to like peg that as like a teenager story of like coming to age of coming to like an adult but like far often people neglect to understand that coming of age can happen at any time and when you're discussing transitions and everything do you think that that was cathartic for you to actually write those songs, go through what you were going through, and then the 12 days of tracking, listening to it, now touring it, is it putting that stuff into better perspective and you getting a better like grip and everything on on those things that you might have gone through? The, Absolutely. So would you consider it your sense of like coming of age, even though it's not, you know, like well, a revolutionary growth or whatever? I think coming of age to me... I'm not really sure what that means. It feels to me like like a final thing, like, oh, you're finally this, or you have, you've yeah. reached a, now you're this age, and you're fine, and this is, it, it, to me, it's like, oh, you were a kid, and now you're a grown-up. Yeah. And instead, I, I think in Young and All the Wrong Ways, in the title and in the song, I feel like we are, like you said, it's not an age-defined thing. Like, ideally, we are all progressing in, in, in a way that like every five or five years or five, ten years, whatever it is, five days, you are able to to be who you are then and not just, you know, say the same jokes you said five or ten years ago, repeat the same phrases or or like or um, that, that you that you identified with back then and and the same like. Um, I don't know, I, I, I felt like. I was in danger of just staying where I was forever. And I don't want that. I want to, in five years, I want to be evolved down the road. I want to be a better person. I want to have um, new thoughts. And I don't want to think what I think now for the rest of my life. So how do I, how do I get to that place? And it's, it doesn't happen on its own. I'm a creature. I'm a comfort creature. I like to know things, and I like to be cozy and fine, and I like the security of of, of knowing what... And I like repetition, even if it's not efficient. And <laughs> so it takes a little bit of effort for me to, um, to try and move forward sometimes. Yeah. 
I wish more people thought like that. <laughs> like I wish more people felt like you did and wanted to get out of their comfort zones because I feel like people really do get stuck doing a certain thing or yeah I do too yeah but it it does definitely does take effort and yeah you know I don't have kids I don't I I feel like there are a lot of things that make it I I travel a lot I don't have a a job that um that repeats itself every day or is Mm -hmm. pretty you know and I think that even having a, a, a job where my every day is different I still seek out those consistencies yeah and I imagine if I I if I didn't if I had a kind of job that that um was in the same place every day and had similar tasks or responsibilities that I I would I would absolutely just want to just cruise (laughs) because I mean you're just kind of that that's that's so easy to imagine doing I'm totally that person who would be inclined to do it and um I'm glad that um that I've been forced to travel to places and that I probably wouldn't have gone to and been forced to, to solve some problems that I, that I wouldn't have. And it's taught me that I really like to jump in the deep end. I really like to just say yes and figure out how to do it later because it's, it's kind of the only way that I do anything. Yeah, (laughs) It's interesting hearing you say that because like looking at your, your career so far too, it's like you've done a lot of, different projects or worked with different people like you toured with the Decemberists and like with Jackson Brown and all these people Mm -hmm. that you know I guess somebody else without your sense of adventure I guess might have stuck in one path where I'm also very lucky to have those opportunities that's true but you take those opportunities not everybody would you know I think most people would take the opportunity to play with Jackson Brown (laughs) I think that's that's pretty uh, reasonable to expect from people sure but with the Decemberists, that's a, that's a great example where I had, at that point in my life, my world had pretty much just been the Nickel Creek machine, um, which was very streamlined socially and creatively. We were pretty focused on details. We were, it was very intricate music. And then I went and did my first record and I tour managed myself and three other band members, like grown ass men. <laughs> and and they they really, you know slummed it with me and it was I'm so grateful but I was exhausted after a year and a half of of that because that was a steep learning curve I didn't babysat in Nickel Creek with tour managers with a tour manager until then and so that was a very big learning curve and then I was really tired it was time to make another record my second record and I didn't have anything to say because I hadn't been living any kind of life because I'd been touring for a year and a half and I was exhausted and I got the opportunity I got the call to that December's was we're looking for a fiddle player, a female fiddle player who could sing. Basically, they needed female harmonies, and they wanted a fiddle player. Yeah. And so it was perfect. I got to join their band for seven months, and it was a very, very different experience than anything I'd had. It was the first time that I got to be a sideman, which I love being. And it gave me the relief. I didn't have any responsibilities. I had to be there at soundcheck and at show. I didn't have to know anything. I didn't have to know how far the venue is from the hotel. I didn't have to book any transport. I didn't have to like do, I didn't have to spend like three hours price lining the best hotel yeah. options and you know, You Florida. just got to show up and play. I just got to show up and play and I got to read books and I got to practice and listen to things. And, um, and because of that, I actually, you know, a lot of my second record was, was I started writing it on, on that tour because I actually had the, the bandwidth to yeah. 
to, and I, and I have had things that I wanted to say at that point, but I needed a break. So it was great to be able to work and, and kind of take a load off at the same time. Yeah. But the reason I say that they, but they assumed they were just like, Oh, you can play baritone electric guitar solo on the single. Right. And I don't like, I, I especially back then I did not play guitar and I play guitar a little bit now, but especially back then I was, I could strum a few chords and that was it. And I was like, sure. And so then I learned this baritone guitar solo that I got to play every night. So fun. I got to hit a drum. I never get to hit drums. <laughs> um, by the end of the tour, I had to, you know, even learn some piano stuff. And it was, it was really fun because they, they just assumed like, oh, yeah, you can do that. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, but you did. You because did they assumed yeah. it of me, I figured it out. And that was a very big learning experience to me that I like it when people assume that you can do something because if no one expects anything of you, why would you do anything? You know? Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that you, uh, you got to read a lot on that tour. Is that something you like to do when you're on the road? I'm a very slow reader, but Uh, I do like to read. Um, I'm with you there. (laughs) It'll take me forever to get through a book. I I think I'm like an undiagnosed, uh, dyslexic, (laughs) um, because I'm, I, I have a hard time. Yeah, no, I don't mean to laugh. At <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I, I, I think I am because there are there are certain like doubled doubled letters. I have a really hard time reading. Um, I, I can't. I, I'm very bad at reading capital text, capitalized letters, texted, um, and um, and uh, I'm super slow. At comprehension is not my. So a lot of times I have to read the same page over and over again. It's yeah. a, not. It's a grueling process. So because of that. I don't often start books because I know it's such a huge commitment yeah. <laughs> to get through it. And if I don't like it, then I just, and so, um, but I, uh, I do like it and my favorite people are readers. And so I, I often aspire to it. But um, I think I was reading um, Lonesome Dove on that tour, which really? I love, love Lonesome Dove. Yeah. Are you reading something now? I'm reading, I think it's called The, the Greatest War or The Great War. It's about World War One. Oh, right on. I've been playing Battlefield, so similar similar totally. experiences. Yeah, yeah, so you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting my history lesson. I know all about the Monte Grappa battle, and that's about it, you know. <laughs> but that's awesome. Yeah, so. it's a little, I like, I like, I like history stuff. And yeah. Things that are based in, in real life events. Yeah, I've, I was told, because I didn't like history when I was younger, and I was told by somebody that, a quote that, I'm sure it's been repeated by millions of people, but that if you don't like history, it's because you have a bad teacher, mm. not because history is boring, you know? Yeah, <laughs> the stories are really incredible. They, they are. They are. But I think the thing is when people think about history, they, and especially in school, they teach you like the dates and the, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers and whatnot, but you don't really get in. I think what interests me in history is like learning how people dealt with, you know, like what was it like to live in a country that's affected by World War One? You know, mm-hmm. so uh, we might we might be there in a few years. Yeah, well, like <laughs> curriculums only teach you to memorize. That's the whole point of history in like grade school. Um, and I luckily I took like an AP like Euro and AP like American, and they actually like, delve into that stuff, and you can learn a little bit more mm. beyond just like in 1842 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's like <laughs> what you can hate the most is that you have to memorize it and then present it to a test. You never learn. And then as a kid, when you're forced to memorize something, you're just mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm just doing this to please somebody. I'm not doing it because I want to. And there's actually a great book. It's called lies. My teacher told me, mm-hmm. and they force you to read it for um, like an AP history course, but it 
tells you all the stuff that like your teachers were basically force feeding you is is wrong or yeah. or <laughs> just like little things like that that like yeah. now kids can find out on the internet or whatever but it's it's a book that kind of you know it's one person's story that you're you're trying to learn totally and like the dates the dates are completely googleable yeah but you know if you can if you can absorb a little bit of the cause and reaction of of things that happened in history you can you can take it with you for for good use. Yeah. yeah. I always enjoyed like diaries or transcripts or something from like somebody that was maybe sitting on like a ship that was mm-hmm. going to war or, um, you know, Magellan like wrote down everything about like going around the world. And mm-hmm. so stuff like that, cause that's someone's testimony rather than a novel about it's it. It's amazing or... how much of what we know is, is just from letters and yeah. journals. Yeah. That's so much of what we know like in the book that I'm reading right now, it's it's uh, they say that they they've been chronicling a relationship that happened, uh, uh, an affair that was that was kind of scandalous for several reasons, and that at one point they both decided not to burn their letters, and that's the only reason we know that this whole thing happened, which played a, you know an interesting lent very interesting uh, stories to um to the war and to to what was happening around culturally and and everything and it's it just those letters are everything and i, I wonder what what that's going to look like like what is what's that going to be in the next cuz we have so much content now yeah well yeah. now like it's yeah it's almost i, I wonder how how to what what they'll glean or what they'll take from all the cameras that are everywhere right. you know like how, how will they the twitter history yeah. of somebody how will the stories yeah yeah you can have of course yeah right yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully my like great great grandkids don't go through like my snapchat or something though that'd be a little embarrassing but <laughs> we also we have the benefit which i mean it's yeah it's digital or whatever and if it do, if it never touches the internet and it's just solely like maybe in your text or something like that it can be deleted and you can destroy a hard drive and it's just like burning letters. So yeah, we are more inclined to put our stuff on a platform that's going to feel like forever. But I think like we still have the benefit of destroying something if we don't want to, and you can't move on from something that's gone. Mm -hmm. So it still has like that. I don't know, I guess like importance of without this, you don't have this, but, um, but I mean, yeah, once it's on the internet, it feels like it's forever. So, yeah. you know, you can get lost in that. Right. Be careful what you put on the internet is yeah. the moral of the story. <laughs> careful, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of like lessons and stuff that you've learned. So as you said, you've worked with and seen so many amazing old school bluegrass players and, you know, working with John Paul Jones and all these amazing people. What's the what's the most interesting or useful tidbit of advice that you've learned from another musician? Hmm. I don't know that it would be advice or a sentence that they said. Maybe I'm just not, I can't recall the right one, but I think what you learn is what I, what I learned the most is just by watching other musicians and seeing, you know, the choices that they make. Um, there's a, a incredible musician named Greg Lease who is a pedal steel player as well as guitar and stuff. And he's he's in L.A. He's done a lot of stuff with the family now, but he's he's one of my favorites. 
And you learn so much just by watching him think through things, you know, like learning a song and you can see him processing, you know, a chord progression. Pedal steel is a crazy instrument. So you have to think in different keys because of the way it's set up. And without knowing exactly what he's thinking, just like, you know, you see people doing the math in their head, reconsidering what they're going to do um, and processing it. And it's it's a very um, inspiring thing to see because this is, these are, you know, inc- these, a musician I would, I will never be the musician that he is. And, um, and it's fun to see the work that goes into the craft. That That's the kind of thing that I love. Or you see people like Jackson who, treat his crew so well and like are so you know that are very good people and yeah. and um and you learn you learn that kind of stuff and you learn you learn a lot just by you know people who have figured out how to be musicians for a while are doing something right because yeah. it's it's not an easy thing to do not and, at all um there's there's a lot that goes into it so you yeah. can you can learn a lot just by watching them I, I'm so jealous. I wish I was on a first name basis with Jackson Brown. That'd be like life goals completed right there. <laughs> if I could just refer to him as yeah, my my, my friend Jackson. <laughs> That's amazing. So before we go, you know, you're on tour now. Um, the record came out last year. Is there another record on the horizon? What can we expect? Came out in July. Okay. Um, I have yeah, I have other projects happening next year. But I'm still really focused on on this album. We're in the middle of a month long tour, mm-hmm. basically just the halfway point. And uh, so there'll be some festivals in the spring and summer. And um, and yeah, a couple a couple fun tours in the summer that are yet to be confirmed. Um, but yeah, I, I I I really like getting to getting to d- do different kinds of collaborations. It's fun to do this show where it's um it's it is uh, basically i'm the boss of the show that's always <laughs> and good. then i get to do other things where i'm so not the boss that i get to you know be a supportive person and um experience and you know dig into the requirements of just playing a supportive role or being in a band where it's completely democratic and collaborative um these are all things that that uh, require different things from you musically and also with your personality. And it's, I, I love doing all of them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more collaboration next year because um, I'm tired. Of, I'm getting a little tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not getting tired of you. So keep, keep putting out solo records too. Don't leave us hanging. We'll do. But, but uh, that's, all, that's awesome. Nice little tease here from the podcast. Sarah yeah. Watkins working exclusive. on some collaborations. A vague, exclusive. vague, vague <laughs> exclusive. So right on. Well, thank you so much for sitting down no with problem. us. Thank you for coming down to the to the States. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait to see the show.
it was a little funky. You know, we would do a little, you know. <laughs> yeah.